Artist.io. Welcome to Coast to Coast Podcast. We are back here with episode 35. I'm your host, Kyle Creasy. And today, we have a really fun conversation about the dysfunctional Raptors and what's going on with that team. Why are they five games under 500 right now? What can they maybe do to fix it? What's been the problems? It's really a full-on conversation about that team and why they've been struggling as much as they have. Uh, shout out to Esfandiar Barhini. He is who came on to talk about the Raptors with me. Um, he works for the SDPN. Um, it's the Steve Dangle Podcast Network, and um, they cover a lot of uh, a lot of sports. And so they wanted to expand the NBA. So Esfandiar recently took a position to be their lead NBA reporter. He's previously worked with Toronto Sports Network and the Score. So it's Fandiar, a great person to have on. I was able to hit him up through Twitter, um, and we just got to talking and was able to work it out. So really appreciate him coming on. It's a really good conversation, talking about some of the good, some of the bad of this team so far and why they've been having struggles. Just really good conversation and really, really in-depth stuff with substance about why the team is struggling. Um, first, before we get into it, though, you know the deal. We have our stock risers and our stock fallers. So I have two stock risers, two stock fallers today starting with my stock risers. Let's get into the first one. I've got the Brooklyn Nets as a stock riser for me today. Um, they're on a six-game win streak, 9-1 and one in their last 10 games. And, yes, if you look at the schedule in those last 10, they've really taken advantage of a weak schedule, but that's part of it. you got to win the games that you're supposed to. And for a team that's had some dysfunction like they have in the past, for them to go 9-1, and one, even in a stretch that's not against very good teams overall, that's good. And so it's a good sign. Good to see them capitalizing on it. They're fourth in the East now, and they're only 1.5 games back, back from third, which is the Cleveland Cavaliers. And when you think about it from a totality perspective, the Cavs have been really good all season. So the fact that the Nets, although they had a bad start and they've been really good now and there's been dysfunction around the team, they're only a game and a half behind a team like the Cleveland Cavaliers who have been so good. That's a good sign. Um, in the last two weeks, this Nets team has had a 123.3 offensive rating, which has been the second highest in the league. Would be first on most normal two-week spans, but the Portland Trailblazers have been killing it offensively. Um, they are five points higher than the best offense in the NBA right now in this last two-week stretch. Um, and, you know, the biggest thing for me is obviously Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving playing well. You know, their spurts where Ben Simmons looks more like himself. That, that was getting better and then he got hurt and now it's kind of having to trend back up again but TJ Warren is playing with this team now he's been playing for seven games just stuff that he's been able to do for this team just in terms of like getting to the rim being able to create his own shot with bench groups being able to be like a short roller for a Kevin Durant or a Kyrie Irving and be able to make good decisions as both a passer and a scorer off of it you know that's one of the biggest you know flaws in short rolling sometimes as a guy that can't really create his own shot either and TJ Warren being able to do that has been super effective. Um, and specifically, he's extremely efficient around the rim and in the mid-range right now. And that's something that they need that's not from KD and Kyrie. And so this could really help this team going forward. They're six and one in the seven games that he's played. And they're they're like a plus it's it's not double digits. I can't remember. It's like a plus seven point seven or a plus nine or something net rating when he's on the floor. So it just kind of shows the impact that he's had on this team so far. It's a big forward, and for a team that doesn't have a bunch of size, a big forward really helps. That's very skilled. So that's a team to watch for sure as we keep going forward, 19 and 12 right now. Should be interesting. 
Uh, my second stock riser is going to be the Denver Nuggets. The Nuggets coming off a big win last night against the Memphis Grizzlies. They are five and one in their last six now. They're uh, after that win against the Grizzlies last night. They are currently first place in the Western Conference. Now, what does that mean? We don't really know yet. Like you know, shout out to uh, slightly biased on Twitter. Uh, he's a Mavericks fan. Good follow if you don't follow him. Um, he he actually tweeted today, six different teams in the past like month have been in first place in the Western Conference. So what does that mean? I don't know, but they are currently wet or are currently first in the West. And this is from a few things in particular, you know, Nikola Jokic continuing to just, even after back-to-back MVPs, continuing to just still make us be in awe of what he does on a basketball court. And that's hard to do when you've already had so much recognition winning back-to-back MVPs like he has, because then the narratives get kind of lazy. But no, like we're forced to still talk about him here because of how good he's been in this stretch where they're five and one. He's averaging 31 points, 15 rebounds, 10 assists on 59 percent shooting. Just ridiculous stuff. I mean, the other night he had the game where he had 40 points, 27 rebounds, 10 assists. Just doing otherworldly stuff right now. Definitely a top MVP candidate still, even after winning back to back, regardless of what kind of narratives people want to create. Um, But another thing that I want to specifically highlight for this Nuggets team in this stretch and why I think that they are a stock riser going forward is that the defense is seeing a little bit of a flip. Um, The defense is is 25th overall in the season, but they're 11th in the past two weeks. This team has potential to be a solid defensive team. I don't think they're ever going to be top 10 defensively. It's kind of hard with some of the things that you have to try to pull out that Mike Malone has to try to figure out with Jokic at center. And that's okay. I mean, like Jokic is not as bad as some people make him to be defensively, but he's also not great. And so there are some limitations there. And, you know, a small guard like Jamal Murray, not the greatest defensively, but, you know, they have pieces to be able to have a at least average defense, whether it be Aaron Gordon, Catavius Caldwell-Pope, Bruce Brown, uh, the Christian Brown kid's been solid um, in my eyes whenever I've watched him. Just, you know, some of those guys on that team definitely have good defensive potential, and I think they have enough pieces to be able to stay around league average. So that's a good trend for me to see that hopefully they can keep up going forward. And also, man, Jamal Murray just continues to look a little better. He's still not where I would be like, hey, this is where I want him to be for this team to be a contender per se, but he's been looking better. His scoring is going up, starting to find a little more efficiency, still struggling from three a little bit, but I think that's that's just a time thing. You know, Kawhi Leonard is another example of a guy from ACL that's been struggling from three. Just got to get their legs under him some more. We know they're both capable shooters. They're both coming off ACL tears, so I'm confident in Jamal Murray to get his three-point shot going where he wants it to be. Um, so really liking what I'm seeing from him. The one thing that could be a little bit concerning is, you know, Michael Porter Jr. has been out for a while since like November 22nd. Um, he's actually supposed to be coming back within the next week. This is what Mike Malone was saying in a press conference. So we'll see how that goes. But if he gets back, Jamal Murray continues to ascend a little bit and get back to the player that we think he can be. And Jokic continues to, you know, not even do 31, 15 and 10 type dominance, but just the dominance that he's done throughout the season in the past two seasons before in his MVP seasons, this team's a contender. And I've, I labeled them as a contender before the season. And this type of stuff makes me feel right about doing so. So we'll see. seems like they're starting to maybe put some things together and maybe they'll be back at full strength in a week, in a week from now, but they made my, they had to make my stock rises because of all that as well. Getting to our stock fallers. Um, I'm not going to lie. I have two of them here. And one of them is a little more like, nitpicky but had to kind of do it because of the way they started and that's the Boston Celtics you know this team had the league's best record by far they kept winning dominating point differential was crazy they still had the number one point differential overall 
Uh, and recently they've lost four of their last five. The Bucks have now taken over first in the Eastern Conference. And, you know, the Celtics offense has just fell off a cliff in the past two weeks. And I'm sure part of that is that they took a long road trip. Um, but they are 29th in offense in the last two weeks and their last in point differential. Uh, you know, the defense has been really good in the past two weeks and the defense has started to be really good in the past like month. And so it kind of they were about league average from the first few weeks start season. Now they're back up to like sixth overall. But um, and it was good. But the offense has just really been dying. Now, part of that is due to like, you know, Jason Tatum has been out for some games, like two or three games in this stretch. They've been on the road for every almost every game in that stretch beside like the Orlando games. Um, Robert Williams came back for the two Orlando games. So just trying to fit him in. Like there's some reasons to why maybe it's struggling. But I had to throw them on here just because like they were so far and away ahead of everybody. And now it's kind of like getting more back to earth. Um, Cleveland's not that far from them as well. And then, like I said, Brooklyn's not that far from Cleveland. And so it's like in the – in the big picture here, they're not just completely separated from everybody anymore. So just want to keep an eye on them, and that's why they made the stock faller. It's not like I'm panicking about the Celtics or anything. But my next stock faller, that's a team that I truly am starting to get a little worried about, and that's the Dallas Mavericks. Um, two and five in their last seven games. They are down to 10th in the West now at this point. They are only a half a game ahead of the Warriors, and this is where they get a little fortunate only a half a game ahead of the Warriors and one and a half games ahead of the Lakers. They couldn't be any more fortunate right now that Steph Curry and Anthony Davis are hurt because the way the Mavericks are trending, those two teams could have easily passed them going forward. You know, this part right here is due to Luka missing some games, like two or three in the past seven that I was mentioning. They're, they're seventh in offense overall, but they've been 16th in the last two weeks. That's probably just from him missing some games. And then their but their defense – this is what really catches my eye here. Their defense was is 14th overall in the season, but it's 26th now in the last two weeks. And you might say, hey, it's only two weeks. And you might say, hey, Luca's been out some games, so the offensive firepower hasn't been there, so the other teams are able to take advantage of that and get pushing on the other end and be able to score more points. But Maxi Kleba is injured and tore his hamstring, got surgery. He has a six- to eight-week time timeline. It could even go longer than that. And the defense thing is really concerning here because they have a top 10 defense, like like towards like like fifth, sixth type stuff, top defense when Kleba's on the floor for them. 24th in the possessions and minutes that he's off the floor. And so that fits right in with them being 26th in the last game, in the last seven games without him. You know, Jason Kidd loves to close with Maxi Kleba. Jason Kidd loves Clayboy, he trusts him, and rightfully so. He's his floor spacer. He can attack a closeout if he needs to. He doesn't do it super often or anything, and he plays hard. He does little things, and he is a good defender with switchability. And so it's going to be really interesting to see how they do in this six- to eight-week period without him. But we will see. And so that's the team that I'm really watching here that made my stock fallers. So we'll see how, see how all that goes. But – Let's get straight into this conversation with Espandiar. It's really cool stuff. You know, we go into, you know, their record, where they're at right now in the standings. We go over their defense. We go all over their offense. We start to talk about, you know, what some of the problems are with everything. We try to be, we try to weigh out why to maybe be optimistic or pessimistic. 
talk a little bit roster stuff, take a look back to this summer to see if they would have done anything different. Just a really good in-depth conversation over the Toronto Raptors. So let's get straight into it. And now I'm excited to bring on the lead NBA reporter for the Steve Dangle Podcast Network, formerly with Toronto Sports Network, formerly with The Score, Esfandiar Berahini. Esfandiar, what's up, my man? Chilling, man. Chilling. Appreciate you having me on. Yeah, totally glad to have you on. I've been looking forward to this one for quite some time uh, to talk about the Raptors just because of how weird this season has been to this point for this team. Um, Obviously, going into it, I mean, this team had some really high expectations, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, the expectations were for this team to take a bit of a leap, Scotty Barnes to take a leap, Precious Shatula to take a step forward. Um, And, you know, I I, I think there have been certain areas of development. Pascal Siakam seems like he's just taken another step forward. OG Ananobi looks like a defensive player of the year prospect. But uh, the other stuff just hasn't really turned out the way that they imagined it to. So it's uh it's been tough it's been tough it's a tough pill to swallow sorry i just got a phone call here but um in in general it was um it's just it's tough when expectations don't meet reality for a fan base and oftentimes when that happens you get what the reaction raptors fans are having right now which is oh we gotta blow it up we gotta do this nothing's working you know it's kind of like doom and gloom everywhere but realistically they were banking on development from scotty barnes a huge a pretty big leap from scotty barnes a pretty big leap from precious achua and uh you know whether it be via injury or through just like rough patches and shooting slumps they just have not been able to to get those developments if you will yeah and we're gonna definitely get right into like what is going on but it is interesting to look at because I don't think that the expected big leap was just like a raptors fan thing or like people that pay really close attention to him. I think it was just in general, you have a team that two years ago, things weren't going out well. So they didn't just blow the team up or anything. They were just like, hey, we're just going to retool. We're going to get a good draft pick. They got Scotty Barnes out of it. Then they come back next year. And I mean, they ended up, what were they? The, the, what the seed? seed. Yeah. I the, think it was fifth seed, yeah. Fifth. And yeah, yeah, because they played uh, Philly in the first round. Philly was four. Yeah, so they were, I mean, the top five seed, I mean, a top six seed in today's NBA staying out of the play-in is pretty much the goal, unless you're like the big-time contenders. And and they played Philly well. I mean, they didn't do it well. Like, they had some injuries and things weren't going well. But, like, all kinds of momentum going in this year. And now sitting at 13 and 18 after last night's loss um, to the Sixers in overtime to push it to six losses in a row. They're at 10th yeah. in the East, 2-8 and eight in the last 10. They're only a game ahead of Chicago, who's who from the outside perspective, it seems like Chicago has just been horrible. And then it's like, oh my gosh, like the Raptors are only one game ahead of that team. And <laughs> you know, like, and when you take a look at the last six, and you go back, they lost to the Magic twice. Who the Magic have been playing really well, but still I think you hope that they could at least take one of those. They lost to the Kings and what was a close one. I got to watch the fourth quarter of that one on that day. That was just a tough way. Like, they lost to the Nets off a of Kyrie Irving buzzer beater. They lost to the Warriors, who's, who were missing Steph Curry and Andrew Wiggins. And that team before that game was 2-14 and 14 on the road. And then they lost last night in overtime to the Sixers. And they had two points in overtime. So yeah. and, and well, they, had, they, had, they had, like, two points. 
So I remember I I rewatched the game just now, um, like earlier this morning. It was ninety six to eighty nine with five minutes left in the fourth <laughs> quarter, and the end score I believe was one hundred four to one hundred one at yes. the end of overtime. So yeah. they scored five points through ten minutes. Um, <laughs> it was bad. It was bad. Sorry. Go ahead. And and that's that's a good segue into what I'm about to get into and what we need to talk about here of what this team has struggled with the most because it is just. It's a perfect example, five points in 10 minutes. And obviously that's not been the case for every 10 minutes of basketball for the Raptors this year. But struggling offensively has been a recurring theme for this team. So right now, uh, I want to highlight first in the last two weeks, part of the struggle, and this is no context whatsoever, just kind of broad point of view, 20th in offense and 27th in defense. Obviously, if you play a two-week stretch of basketball, like that, you're not going to win many games. So that is part of why they have lost six in a row. But let's look overall. They're 15th in offense, 14th in defense, sitting about league average in both of those, okay? Well, I want to touch on the defense first. You look at it. First off, you look at personnel. Should be really good. And then you start to look at certain factors. It is pretty good. I know they're 14th. They would like to be higher. Still pretty good defense just overall. They're first in forcing turnovers. They're 11th in allowing offensive rebounds, so not not really letting teams get extra possessions. They're creating havoc. They are 29th in free throw rate, giving up free throws to other teams, but they play a really aggressive type of defense, so you do kind of expect that number to be higher. But they're 23rd in giving up threes, and they give no corner threes whatsoever, and teams are shooting about league average from three against them. It's like the more you look at the defense and I can keep going. I mean, teams are not good from mid range. Teams are not good at the rim against them. The only thing that I could maybe pick apart is like big on defense from them when I watched them. And when I was looking for this podcast specifically is it can kind of hurt them late in games with like a Kim Birch or a Thaddeus young who are solid, but when they get put in some actions, you know, depending on scheme, what Nick nurse is trying to do and he does all kinds of things, but specifically when they're trying to ice or when they're in drop coverage, or if they're trying to meet at the level, those two can get a little, I don't even know if I want to call it lazy, just not very good at it in particular. And late in games, that can kind of hurt them because they do give up a lot of mid-range looks. So I don't know. I guess that's the one thing I could pick on. But they get back on defense too. So the transition stuff isn't bad, but it's the offense. So what for you has stuck out about the offense in particular that you're like, it's just not been very good and this is why? Yeah, I mean, honestly, it it's kind of a cop-out answer, but it really is the answer to your question here, and that's the shooting, man. Um, they oh, yeah. are – here, let me, let me double-check what they're at right now. Yeah, so they are the 29th worst three-point shooting team in the league. They are right behind the Charlotte Hornets, who have been abysmal this season. Uh, the, the shot is just not falling for a lot of the players that they expected. OG Ananobi has had a, has been in a shooting slump. Fred Van Vliet, their best shooter, has been in a shooting slump. Gary Trent Jr., another shooter, also been in a shooting slump. Um, and even the guys outside of that, they th- that they thought could potentially give them some shooting in a Chris Boucher, in a Otto Porter Jr., in a Precious Achua, just either have been injured or have not shot the ball very well. So spacing and shooting is the issue here. And and to go back to your point offensively. Pascal is creating all these advantages, right? He's drawing double teams. He's manipulating. He's probing, trying to figure out where the defense is coming from so he can draw the help and then kick it out, right? 
but kicking it out to who? A guy who's shooting, you know, 25, 30% from the from behind the arc. That's that's really there is kind of like the illusion of spacing at this point because they're daring the Raptors shooters to make these shots. Um yes, I in a perfect world, realistically, I think that would be the scheme is is have Pascal draw all this attention. You kick it out. You hope that, you know, your shooters, the guys who you rely on, make those shots. And we saw that in Philly last night. Like Pascal, once he he started cooking, they started to draw and send a bunch of help at him. And he kicked it out to Fred, didn't make his shots. He kicked it out to OG, didn't make his shots. Chris Boucher didn't make his shots. So it it really is just a matter of shooting. And I know that's a cop-out answer, but it goes down to the fact that, like, they they know that they struggle in generating easy looks in a half-court setting. So they try to play this aggressive style on defense to force turnovers, to your point. They try to crash the offensive glass to win the possession battle. And because of that, they end up having to kind of overexert their players. They get exhausted. Guys are are running way over steam. Uh, And at the end of the day, that leads to guys having tired legs on offense and not have any legs in their jumpers. So it's kind of a, a vicious circle in that sense, but... Yeah, it's, it all comes down to the shooting. And if you can't hit your shots, you're just not going to win many games in this league. Yeah, it, I mean, as simple as it sounds, it is a make-or-miss league. And yeah, right. two, two points I really want to highlight are, like, you talked about Pascal. You know, I had a tweet last night. Like, this guy last night, and it's not just a last night thing, 38 points, 15 rebounds, 6 assists, 48% from the field, which whenever you're shooting 27 shots, really good. And this season – He's averaging 25, nine rebounds and seven assists, and he's shooting pretty well from the field. And, you know, Pascal shooting 35% from three is perfectly fine. But they're 13 and 18. And it's like if you're getting this version of Pascal, and when you, in theory, think about the other guys around, you just feel like if you told me before the season, if you kind of told me everything we just talked about, like a little bit on on defense and told me we were getting this version of Pascal, I think this team was like seven games above 500 right now. Right. And then you just start to look into it. You know, some of the guys you mentioned, Gary Trent Jr., this dude before this year and excluding his rookie season is a 39% three-point shooter on almost seven attempts. He's shooting 33.5% right now from three. And it's super unfortunate because he's shooting a career high from two right now, but just not getting anything from three. (laughs) And Fred Van Vliet. 38.2% 38.2% on six attempts before this year, 32.4% on almost nine attempts right now. You know, OG, who has been really good this year and been a super bright spot for the Raptors overall, has not helped contribute to this big problem. 38.2% right. past three season on threes, 33.6% right now, on about the same volume. And you mentioned Chris Boucher. Yeah. This guy of two seasons ago was looking like a legit, four or five man that could come in and be a good shooter on the perimeter. He's been special floor. Yeah. Yeah. He's not been very good in that area. The past two years, been around 27%. Precious, who's not just three point shooting. You hinted at, they really expected a bigger leap for out of him. It's just not been very, not been what you would expect. And his, his three point percentage has almost dropped about 20%. And then Thaddeus yeah. Young, that guy's getting a little older. He's still solid, I think, but just to drop from him, and then a big part of it is like you touched on this as well. 
Otto Porter Jr. has only played in eight games, and that's a guy that could really help this issue now, like right now with this yeah. team. So Absolutely. Yeah, and the major problem for me, and you've touched on it, and I want to ask your thoughts about it before I kind of pick apart, is like to elaborate a little bit on the half-court offense. And is there anything, and I know you kind of talked about just the shooting in general, but like, is there still anything to you about whether it's getting in transition, not getting in transition, certain things they might try to do offensively that is still limiting limiting them outside of maybe shooting to like why they're playing so poor? Because their first internal rate, they don't turn the ball over, they're fifth in getting offensive rebounds, and they're their ninth in free throw percentage or in, uh, in free throw frequency. Not, I don't know about free throw percentage. I didn't mean to check at that. I know that they're not a good three-point shooting team, but they're 25th at three-point rate. That's kind of hard in this day and age to be able to yeah. uh, combat people scoring if you're not shooting at a high clip from three or shooting at a high volume from three. They're seventh in corner rate, but they're almost 4% lower than league average on those corner threes. So just is there anything else that you're like, this is why it's so bad, and or is it just like this makes no sense? Yeah, I would say, look, uh, another issue is that they run a lot of isolation possessions. I believe they're still in the top five or six in ISOs. Um, and I think that's good when you have a guy like Pascal Siakam who is great in that type of situation. I believe he's generating over one point per chance in, in isolations. But That's really good. Yeah, yeah, that is phenomenal. That's like top tier, you know, all-star, all-NBA level isolation stuff. But when it comes to the rest of the team and relying on those guys to be isolation players in a Fred Van Vliet, in an OG Ananobi, even Scotty Barnes, who people expected to take a little bit of a, of a leap in that area. It just hasn't panned out. And when things rely on isolation so much, they tend to not have as much ball movement. And let me just pull this up because I'm pretty sure it's true. Uh, the Raptors are probably near the bottom of the league in assists. Yeah, they're 25th in assists this season. Um, they just don't pass the ball. They don't move the ball a lot. They really are very comfortable just resorting to, hey, we got the mismatch. Let's figure out how we can kind of uh, exploit that mismatch and, and you know get an opportunity for Pascal. Uh, they don't move the ball, so therefore they end up getting kind of the defense isn't moving on the other side, right? They're not really having the defense in motion and that way they're not generating easy looks and it's making it a much harder on a guy like Pascal to create these open opportunities for his teammates. So it's, it's, it's a combination of look, yes, they are shooting bad, but also on top of that, they're not generating very easy looks because they resort to ISO ball very, very like way too often. Yeah. And you have, pretty much touched on exactly what I was going for here when asking that question and exactly what I found, exactly what I pick apart whenever I'm trying to watch these games. The first thing for me, I obviously know what I watch whenever I'm watching these games and I'm trying to go into it, but I still want to take a look at analytics. I'm an analytics and eye test guy. Obviously, if that hasn't already been pretty evident from the <laughs> stuff I've been trying to pull out. But first thing that I saw that was kind of alarming is this team is 24th in mid-range percentage, but they're sixth in the league in mid-range rate. And so in my eyes, I'm already trying to think about what I'm watching, and I'm like, why are they taking so many mid-ranges if they're not good at them? Well, it's because they can't create anything. And to your point, they go into isolation so much, and that's not easy. I mean, you may have a guy that's really good off the dribble. It's still not easy to just beat whoever you want off the dribble. Or in Pascal's case, so many people helping in different areas for a player of his caliber. 
And so their half court their their half court offense is 29th in points per possession in the half court. Mm-hmm. And they here's what's so bad. They are first in the league in terms of how many possessions that they're playing against a set defense. So they play the least amount of possessions against a set defense than anybody in the NBA, but the half court offense is so bad that it doesn't even matter that they're playing against that little amount of set defenses that they're just not scoring even in so little, even in the half court, even though they're getting less looks against set defense. So that's killing them that much. They're even second in transition frequency and first in points per possession in transition. According, This is all according to clean the glass, by the way. And they still can't overcome it. And it is to your point, they're getting the half court, they get in ISO stuff and they just, you can only do so much sometimes. And so it gets really hard, taking a lot of tough mid-ranges. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I just don't know. Like, it, it's kind of crazy. It's like I still just can't wrap my head around the fact that they're struggling this much. Even whenever I go through and look at every bit of this, I just expected so much more out of them. I think, I think you know, it's all those problems that we've mentioned, but – compounded with the fact that they've been dealing with injuries that they haven't been healthy and that their players that are healthy have been going through shooting slumps if if at least one of those things wasn't happening right now i think they'd have a better record uh i saw something like you know the raptors have lost eight games this season by single digits yes Uh, so glad you brought that up because i meant to bring it up yeah, they, they just they've been in a lot of close games and they haven't been able to pull it out. A lot of that has to do with the fact that their half court offense can't generate anything because mm-hmm. in a close game, things kind of get slower and get clunkier. So you have to find shots easier uh, and it's just it doesn't go down that way. But I, I, I mean, I think there is some silver lining here in the fact that like, OK, Fred Van Vliet, OJ Ananobi and Gary Trent Jr. There's just no way they're going to continue shooting this poorly. At some point, it's going to normalize. Uh, at some point, health will also normalize, and you get Precious Achua back, you get Otto Porter Jr. back. But the fact of the matter is they're 13-18. and 18. They have a really, really tough schedule ahead of them, including January. And, you know, that might raise some questions about whether they should go a different direction than what they tried to coming into the season. So, yeah, they're, yeah they're it's, next it's, seven, it's kind of an awkward spot they're in. Yeah, next seven games are in – I guess you could go even farther than that, but I just want to highlight the seven because it kind of hits to the start of the new year. Are the Knicks, who are one of the hottest teams in the NBA right now, the Cavs, one of the best teams in the NBA right now, the Clippers, you never know what you're going to get, but that team's still four games above 500, and when Kawhi's on the floor, they're nine and two. The Grizzlies, best record in the West. Suns, one of the best records in the West. Pacers, who have just – been able to fight with every single team and the Bucks who have the best record in the NBA right now. To be in the position that they're at right now with that next seven games, this is vital, like for the rest of the season, to be able to just claw through some of these. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with you. And I mean, I think they will. <laughs> I think they've been turning the corner here over the last couple of games. I mean, the Brooklyn game was was kind of an indicator of the fact that, you know, Hey, there's there's going to be something here that they can build on. I think the Philly game was also an indicator that, that their defense was kind of turning up a little bit. They had picked up the defensive energy. That was the least amount of points they've given up to a team in I think over two weeks. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it 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 
it does seem like the defense is at least turning around and that if they can find some consistency on that end, then they can get back to, you know, being that forced turnovers, let's get out and running and let's score that way. And then hopefully they catch one of these teams off guard, they get a W and you know how it is in the NBA, man. As soon as you kind of get that win out the way and now it's a clean slate, you kind of feel like you can figure things out a little bit more. But right now it's just the pressure is on them to just get off this losing streak, you know? Oh, yeah. So so let's let's take a look at just the overall landscape of the season going forward. And let's try to look and weigh out some of the options of why to be optimistic or pessimistic. I think to be optimistic, we've already covered a lot in that sense, especially just the last few minutes of kind of what we've been discussing. I also think it's just like Scotty getting more comfortable. Like I think that like like you've touched on it. It is such a huge part of this team taking another step is that guy in particular continuing to ascend as a player. And he's shown all kinds of bright spots this season. Like, is it a sophomore slump? Kind of, but not really. Because to me, a sophomore slump is like a guy taking a step back in a lot of areas. I don't think it's that. I think it's just a little bit of some inconsistency, and especially on the defensive end, but it's off some of his offensive stuff as well. Because it's like yeah, – go I, ahead, go ahead. No, I think I think the thing with Scotty, and it's like – it's a little bit about how teams game plan for you, right? Um, when they have a whole season of your resume now in their books, in the film, to be able to kind of catalog and figure out what you do well and what you don't, teams are going to game plan for you more. I understand that he was a rookie last season and he was, uh, you know, running away, not running away, but like kind of in the lead for the Rookie of the Year award last season as well. So teams were game planning for him. But now it's sort of like, okay, teams are genuinely preparing for you every single night. You are going to see double teams. You are going to see a lot of coverage. You're, they're going to be showing two sometimes in the post. They're going to be sending a lot of help at you in the post. And it's on him to figure out, okay, what's my counter to that? Last season, his counter was a pretty potent mid-range shot. He actually settled into that really, really well last season when he couldn't kind of body and get someone down into the paint. This season, the mid-range shot isn't there. The three-point shot has improved, but the mid-range shot is not there. Um, and I think it's just this constant give and take. It, it's like it's like trying to figure out who you are as a person. You know, when you're in your mid-20s, I don't know how old you are, but like, you know, last, last like seven years of my life, I've been trying to figure out like, yo, what am I supposed to do with my life? What are the, what's the direction I have to take? Should I be doing this? Should I be doing art? Should I be doing this, 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 this? In a lot of ways, an NBA player is very similar, especially a budding star NBA player in the sense that they have to figure out where their place is and what they can thrive in or what, like what specifically they can thrive at. Uh, Scotty, the the stuff that he already comes with, the, the innate stuff that he had coming into the league is that he's a great playmaker. He's great in transition. He has a great body that kind of is is used in the post really really well he has actually honestly pretty good touch even though that was something that wasn't really there in college um and i think the fact that he has this length is also something that he can look forward to so how to build on top of those skills is what he's trying to figure out and it's it's fine for him to have these struggles i really think that's it's kind of it is what it is with a young guy on the roster you know yeah totally agree with a lot of that and you you have already kind of said as well, like, you know, this, like, we're still only probably 
30 something percent into the season, maybe 40%. It's like, there's still so much season left to go. And so with a team with a lot of guys that I trust, and I've seen a lot of good things from in the past, it's just hard to just truly give up on them only 31 games in. So even when I'm looking pessimistic and I'm like, okay, let's just say that all the guys that we've talked about earlier are struggling. Well, Maybe that maybe it does happen, but it's just so hard to imagine that that actually could happen, no matter how pessimistic I try to be when looking at both ends, especially when I know, you know, I, I've loved Pascal Siakam for a long time, uh, just paid really close attention to him. And that year they won the championship and just was very confident in him going forward and just like the guy didn't start playing basketball or didn't even have a basketball in his hands till he was like 16 years old. So it's like, yeah he's still going to naturally get better and see more things as he goes. And that gets more and more obvious every year. And if you've watched him closely every year, you just see like, Oh my gosh, he just keeps getting better. Like, and then, then the same thing the next year, he's even better now. And like that keeps up. So I don't also like, I also don't think no matter how pessimistic I try to be that he's going to fall off a little bit. Like, even if it was a little bit, he's playing so great right now that like, that's okay if they get some better stuff from the other guys. So, but if I do have to be pessimistic, I just kind of sit here and think, you know, even if Pascal's good, even if some of those guys turn around good, that the tough schedule and just going forward, other teams playing well, that it just is hard to ever really make up for the early struggles. And so, yeah, that would be my say, pessimistic point of view. I, yeah, I mean, look, yeah, that is a completely fair pessimistic point of view to have. And I, I honestly, I could see you saying or anybody really saying that, like, hey, this team is closer to the Spurs than they are the Milwaukee Bucks in terms of, you know, their standings right now. I Yeah, and I can understand that. But also, to keep in mind in the East, the Pacers are starting to slow down a little bit. They're 3-7 and seven in their last 10. They've lost two in a row. They're also probably moving into the let's, let's kind of – You have to think with that team, team too, it, even if not both, between Turner and Yield, just at least one of them, some team will try to – Yeah, probably gets moved. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And then on top of that, the two teams behind Toronto right now in Chicago and Washington that you mentioned – they're also not doing well at all. So so even though Toronto has been losing a lot of games, they haven't lost a ton of ground in terms of what they have to make up. Uh, and I think, look, Atlanta has looked pretty inconsistent this season. I think that's the team that they can probably, they, they feel comfortable in facing in a potential playing game. You wonder if the Knicks can keep this up. I think it would be interesting to see that. Miami is also a team that has kind of battled with the injury bug a little bit this season and has been a little bit inconsistent. So when you look at this, like that tier of the East, you sort of still feel confident in the fact that, okay, if the Raptors can figure out this shooting issue, if they can get to full strength, and yes, they probably will never be a good half-court offense, but at least if they get their shooting back, at least if the, the shots are falling, and if guys are, are healthy, then they can compete in this Eastern Conference a little bit more. Um, now, you know, if, if you if you tell a Raptors fan that, they'll probably tell you playing for what? Because Masai Ujiri had this quote uh, after after they had their Tampa tanking season is, is playing for what, right? Yeah. And I, I mean, I understand that point of view. It's like, why be stuck in the middle? But when you have a player, to your point, of a Pascal Siakam, who is in his prime, ready to compete, 
ready to, you know, essentially be invested in, you have to build around that guy. Those type of guys don't necessarily grow on trees. And I think we get obsessed with the mystery box of a draft pick a lot more than what we get with, you know, the actual tangible superstar in a Pascal. So when you have a player like that, you have to go, in my opinion, you have to go all in and kind of invest in that guy and build around him. So we'll see if the Raptors are active during the trade deadline, but I don't think they would go the opposite direction and, and start to just give up on a bunch of games. Yeah, 100% agree that with a guy like Pascal, you have to be all-in because that was an all-NBA player last year that's been such a good player and continually ascending player that's getting even better even off of an all-NBA season. So, yeah, and, you know, I just want to take a a look back now to last summer um, since they are sitting where they're at and a tough schedule coming ahead. Obviously – the stuff about Kevin Durant came about over the summer and the Raptors were heavily connected. And I don't know what would have been at stake or what would have been given up or anything, but assuming that the deal breaker there was Scotty Barnes, which that's true, but not sure what the other players would have been, but assuming that like that wasn't like a Pascal or OG involved, which I don't know, maybe one of them. Do you think that they take a look back and go, hey, maybe we wish we considered this a little more? Yeah, I think they do. Uh, I think they probably look back and say the Kevin Durant thing is something they should have done, Um, especially given the fact that – well, the thing is it's tough to say that in hindsight because a lot of people expected the – you know, it's – a lot of people expected (laughs) the Scotty Barnes all-star leap. Um, They expected him to kind of get to a certain level. And he hasn't gotten to that level yet. And I think that that probably was kind of unfair expectations on the part of fans. But at the same time, looking back on it, you get, you know, three, four years of Kevin Durant and Pascal Siakam. And that gives you a very, very good chance at an NBA championship in those three or four years. Or you have the ability to kind of be a little bit more open with your future and see what you can assess with the Scotty Barnes, with an OG Ananobi, with a Gary Trent Jr., whatever, right? So... It's kind of it's funny. I've I've mentioned this in the past, but in a lot of ways, the Raptors and Warriors, their timelines have run similarly uh, since the 2019 NBA championships. They both they've both had those tanking seasons where they've taken advantage of their stars being hurt and getting high lottery picks in order to kind of uh, keep this two timeline thing going. And they've also both kind of competed. Obviously, the Raptors won in 2019 and the Warriors just won last year. So it's funny to me that both these teams are trying to toggle the two timeline thing and how successful they'll be in it. We'll see. They haven't been so far, in my opinion, either of them. But uh, it's it's interesting at, at the very least to see like what this process will look like four or five years from now. Yes, I, I 100% agree that it, hindsight is 2020. So we can look at it now and say like, yeah, they want to go after KD. But yes, also going back, um, you know, the leap for Scotty Barnes was projected. I wanted to talk about this because this was something that over the summer I felt sort of strongly about, not going to lie. My philosophy on it all looking back, like over the summer was, and I love Scotty Barnes. Like he was my, like, I remember like liking him coming out of college. And when they picked him, I wasn't as upset as a lot of people were like, oh, why didn't they take Suggs? Because, you know, for, for a lot of people, I don't remember. That was a common like argument until Scotty Barnes started playing super well. And my whole thing was Scotty's Scotty looks really good. 
Scotty looks like he can be really good. Scotty looks like he could be a multi-time all-star, possibly all-NBA guy. There was just always a less than 1% chance to me that Scotty ever turns into Kevin Durant. <laughs> yeah. And there was also just the thought to me that the Raptors are all in on trying to win right now. And when you look at, you know, some of the guys on the team, like Pascal is like later 20s, Fred Van Vliet, later 20s, OG's already 25, which isn't old, but like not super young. Chris Boucher, like almost 30, if he's not 30 already. Thaddeus Young, who is considered a solid role player for them, is 34. Otto Porter Jr., who they went out and got in free agency, is late, late 20s. Right. Like, I just thought that it's so much more fit the timeline, especially with how good he is and stuff that he gives, how we've talked about how much they struggled in the half court and you're, yep. and you're putting in – if not the best half-court scorer in the league right now, because all credit to Steph Curry for being able to do what he does, one of the best half-court scorers. And just for some perspective here, you know, Kevin Durant in his second, and this is not to go at Scotty or anything. This is just to give perspective on how good a guy like Kevin Durant is so early. And Scotty has been good, but it's not like KD good because Kevin Durant was like a 25-point-per-game scorer on good efficiency in his second year. And Scotty, Although we've talked about we've seen good flashes and can be really good, is about four is 14.6 points, 6.6 rebounds, 4.6 assists. Really good. Really good. And the efficiency down just a little bit, but still really good. But I think people just really underestimate how good like Kevin how good a Kevin Durant is early and how good Kevin Durant is still right now. That's why I wanted to look at it because it's something that I strongly felt about. And it's like Yes, hindsight, like we've said, is 2020. And yes, I understood, although I felt strongly about them wanting to get about how they should have went after KD. I we just don't know if the Nets because we know the Nets asking price was kind of absurd. Understandably, it was Kevin Durant on a four year contract, but maybe like an OG or Pascal was also being demanded. And so if that's the case, you know, I get it. I get it. Because even if you trade for KD at that point, do you have enough? to right. be able to do something with the structure of the rest of the league. So that was just something that I wanted to talk about. Just, you know, fun conversation. I love fun conversations, the NBA stuff that's never going to happen or never. <laughs> <laughs> I will say, like, I think it is interesting to your point that the front office didn't do that move because it kind of in- indicates that they don't necessarily believe that this is a core that can win an NBA championship and go all in because, uh, if they did believe that, then they would have made that move right now, and they would have, you know, had Kevin Durant, Pascal Siakam, Fred VanVleet, whatever, right? Um, but to your point, yeah, if, if it was OG and Pascal, then obviously it makes sense for them to not make that move. I think the interesting aspect is, like, that also shows you how much they believe in Scotty Barnes, and we'll see if their beliefs come to fruition. Obviously, they, he won't be a Kevin Durant it's very hard to be a top 15 player all time. It, yes, and that, um, that's why I say it's not a yeah. shot or anything at Scotty. That's just how yeah. good KD is. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And look, Scotty will probably have a very, very good NBA career, but awesome. to match that with Kevin Durant, yeah, to match that with Kevin Durant is just very hard to do. Um, but I, I don't know. I guess we will see. We it, At the end of the day, it could be interesting if the Nets end up not doing well in the playoffs again yeah. because now you have Kyrie Irving coming off the books, KD probably requests a trade again, and maybe the Raptors involve themselves in the conversation once more time. So who knows, right? That That's a great point because 
And that kind of transitions into the very last point that I want to talk about before we get done here is even even you've talked about Raptors fans kind of wanting to blow it up. I really don't think no matter what, that there would be a lot happen at the trade deadline with this team. Yeah. My, my opinion, if something were to happen and they were to transition from the current group of guys, it's over the summer. And so I want to keep an eye out for that. But as it concerns to both the deadline and the summer, is there any Raptor that you think could be expendable at the deadline that's in the rotation right now? Uh, I mean, the first guy that comes up is Gary Trent Jr. Um, yeah, 100%. I think, yeah, just because he's a guy that his role, his skill set can be easily found in other players. Um, and I think he he provides something that is very, very common in today's NBA and is very like you could just find that type of player very easily or to replace that type of production very, very easily. Uh, so I, I imagine that he's not a guy that they kind of they want to move forward with. But th the thing is. Also, Fred VanVleet has his free agency coming up in 2023. He is getting older. He has shown some signs of decline this season. And I would estimate, I would assume that that means that they probably at least hear teams out oh, if yeah. teams are offering deals. Does that mean that they end up trading Fred VanVleet? I still think it is very unlikely that they move him because, one, they probably believe that he's a shooter and he's going to keep to that shooting that he's had in the past. And, two... He's just way too big for what this team's locker room needs right now. He is the heart and soul of what that locker room is beside Pascal Siakam. Uh, in a lot of ways, he's been that torchbearer from one generation to another. And, and a, a, another thing is he is sort of the messenger or the liaison between Nick Nurse and the rest of the team. And I think that's very, very important to have on a roster is having someone who can communicate the thoughts that, that the coach is having. So I, 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 Imagine it's going to be very, very – it would have to be a blow-your-socks-off type offer for them to accept a Fred VanVleet trade. I don't think Scotty Barnes or Pascal Siakam or OG Ananobi would be available for trade unless something cataclysmic happens, yeah, unless they yeah. lose 20 straight and they you know, are at the bottom of the Eastern Conference and now, hey, let's blow everything up, right? But, yeah, I, I, I don't think that will happen, and – it makes most sense for them to kind of make a fringe move here and there to kind of improve this roster around this current core, give their best shot at it this season, and then regroup in the summer and, and see what happens from there. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Fred Van Vliet's the guy to watch, in my opinion. I think that could be something that very likely could happen. I'm not going to say it's going to happen, but just wouldn't shock me at all. Totally agree that Fred would kind of shock me if he's moved, but that there would – that. I think there might be some interest from other teams, and they'll listen. Like, I don't think that they'll just shut it down because of the lack of an ex, uh, extension here. But, yeah, like, I've seen – like, I even – I do hypothetical trades on Sunday on my Twitter. I threw out an OG Mavericks hypothetical trade. That's not something that I think would happen this year, though. Like, like right. all types of stuff that I think with OG, even with Pascal, if this thing became egregious, like, that's summer stuff. To me. Yeah, and and I'll be clear on this. I think if there's one team that uh, will be hunting for OG Ananobi is the same team that wanted him last year, this summer, and that's Portland Trailblazers. They yeah. have they have he's great friends with Dame. They have uh, you know kind of coveted him for a very very long time. If there's a team that's and they have the assets to go ahead and get him too. So if there's a team that wants to kind of throw the kitchen sink at OG Ananobi, it probably would be the Trailblazers. Yeah, so. It's interesting. And then just one last question for you. 
I think this team needs a five man, like a more reliable five man. And I know we didn't really get into that a whole lot. Totally but, agree, man. I'm with but, you. Yeah, but but yeah. but if you watch them, I think it's pretty evident. Do you think if if I asked you percentage wise here, what's the percent chance that they trade for a five man by the deadline? I would say almost one hundred percent. I think they have been looking for a five for a very long time. Uh, ever since they lost Marcus All essentially and Aaron Baines didn't work out, they have been searching and searching for a five. Uh, Miles Turner has been mentioned. Jakob Pertl has been mentioned. There have been other centers that have been mentioned ad nauseum. Uh, I imagine, though, that Jakob and and Miles Turner are the guys to kind of watch for with this team, yeah. and especially with Gary being the outgoing guy. I, w- I would imagine it'd be like Gary in a first for mm-hmm. one of those two players, and then – who knows? Who knows what 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 happens at that point? And who knows if the Spurs are interested in that or the Pacers are interested in that? Yeah. I would imagine with the guard depth that Indiana has, I highly doubt they would be interested in a player like Gary Trent Jr. unless they're giving up some of their guard depth back. I would imagine the Yakupertel uh San Antonio deal probably makes more sense. But then again, there are other teams who can get more for him, right? So it's it's kind of tough to see. Uh, see them making a huge move, but oh, yeah, yeah, I I would I would one hundred percent agree with you that they are going to get a center at some point in the next two or three months. Yeah, so I wasn't gonna say any names unless you did, but yeah, that that's the only name that I'll mention here right before we go is Hurdle makes perfect sense to me. He's already been in the organization. They were already really liked him whenever he was in the organization, and they just by default traded him out because they got Kawhi Leonard who won them a championship. He was part of that deal, so I could totally see them going back to him, especially with how good he's been ever right. since, you know, he was moved. So it'll be interesting to look at. This team's confusing. They don't make a lot of sense right now, but it'll be fun to see them as the season goes forward and see how they deal with, you know, the rest of the deal with the schedule the rest of the way. So, but hey, as FanDR, I really appreciate you coming on, man. Really fun conversation. You, Glad we were able to work it out. And, you know, I'll stay in touch with you, my man, but appreciate it. Appreciate it, man. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, so with that being said, this is the end of episode 35 of the Coast to Coast podcast. Appreciate all of you guys tuning in. We'll see you guys next week.